message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Good morning. How are we? Good, good. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. What do you... Uh, what do you teach when you got two Sundays left? I got two left to get you. Uh, next week, you're going to get a little bit of a buffet from me. This week, you're going to get the gospel. So I had to teach for one last time, and today essentially be my last teaching sermon. Um, I think it. I think it needs to be the gospel. My favorite. My favorite message on the gospel in all of Scripture has got to be Joshua chapter 3. So grab your Bible and turn. Joshua chapter 3 says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim. You've got to be careful with that word, especially when the kids in the room. And came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then, circle the word then, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's about 1,000 yards, around about a half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way you should go. You've not been this way. You've not passed this way before. So watch. Watch. Stay back. Watch. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. Underline, the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said this to Joseph, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And so just as God had taken Moses across a great body of water, and everybody said, man, this is God's, this is God's leader, I'm going to do this for you now, Joshua. Everyone's going to know, as I take you across this giant body of water, just like I was with Moses, I will be with you. Verse 8, you shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, don't just run right in. You shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel. Notice how every time God says something, Joshua just turns around. He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't, he doesn't debate anything. He just turns around and says, God said this. God tells Joshua something. Joshua turns around and says, God said this. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to Israel, verse 9, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. God said to Joshua, I'm going I'm to make sure they know you're my leader. Joshua said to the people of the nation of Israel, I'm going to make sure you know who the real leader is. It's God. By this you shall know, verse 10, that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, Hivite, Perizzite, Gerizite, Amorite, Jebusite, all those, all those sites that would be in the land God had promised to them. He says, 
God's going to do something here so that you'll know that when we get to the land that he's promised to you, he'll wipe all those people out. He'll, he'll take care of that. But what he's going to do now is going to prove to you that he's in charge. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests, just, the, just their feet, just the soles of their sandals, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off. Rolled back. And the waters which are flowing down from above will stand up at attention in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, uh, and imagine, the, imagine what they're thinking here, right? I mean, <laughs> imagine what they're thinking. I mean, just be realistic here. This is what it says. When the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before them, they're about a half mile back. And when, when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the, just their feet, just the feet of the priests carrying the ark dipped just when they dipped, not when they submerged, just when they dipped into the edge of the water. And then you get this, you get this little parenthesis, this little commentator's note here. By the way, the Jordan overflows all its banks the days of harvest. This is the days of harvest. So normally the Jordan River uh, wouldn't be as big as it is right now. It would normally be about 100 feet wide at max. It would be about 3 to 10 feet deep at max. But right now, it's harvest time, which means it's, it's flood time. And at flood time, it overflows all of its banks. It could get up to a mile wide, and the depth would increase as the width increased. The Jordan overflows its banks all the days of harvest. But in verse 16, the waters which were flowing down from above stood. They rose up in one heap. Not just right there, but a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and, and those which were flowing downward, the Sea of Arabah, which is the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite of the city of, of Jericho, where their first real test would be, their first real battle would be. And so what is estimated to be about two million people, Right? This isn't just a little, you know, this isn't just a small group, a little family. These are all 12 tribes. Following Joshua, the new leader, God says, I'm going to make sure they know you're, you're my man. Joshua says, I'm going to make sure they know you're the man. Send the ark in first. The waters stand to attention. About roughly 20 miles back they go. You, you need some space for 2 million people. Verse 17, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, picture this, they stood on firm, dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground. Did you miss it? Dry ground. Until how many of the nation? All the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we have both young and old here with us today, and Lord, I ask that um, even as um, even as this story is told, that it would be seared to our hearts, and we might see your glory. We might see your story in the pages of these scriptures. Both young and old, Lord, I ask that you would um, find something for the hearts of all in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you 
who sit here today, let's just be honest. You get more honest when it's, you know, you got two Sundays left. It's hot in here. Did it get hot in here, anybody? Maybe it's just me. Uh, who we got? Who wants to do it? Jason, can you run and get the key for the air? And uh, I'm going to let you come up here and fix this one. Or, or just this one? All right, good. It got cold. People started complaining, crying. So we turned it up, and now we're all sweating, especially me. What was I saying? Some of you aren't Christians. I was being honest. Uh, young, but maybe old, some of you. Some of you just have never, have never bought into it. You're here. It's good. Maybe you come every Sunday. But deep down, if you were honest with your own heart, you've never really bought in. You've never really been convinced. There, there are potentially many reasons why you have not believed. I think the most basic reason would be this. You've just never been convinced. You're not necessarily against the thing, but you've, just, you've never been sold. It seems to you to be more like some fairy tale that someone made up. This whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing, cross coming to earth, born of a virgin, it, just, it sounds more like a fairy tale that, that just some human made up. The Bible seems to you to be a collection of loosely connected stories at best. What I've found in all my years of studying this book is that it is surprisingly consistent. It's amazingly consistent. I found that this book tells one story and has one author. This is the story. God created the world to be a wonderful place for you and I. He created it beautiful and He created it blessed. He made humans as His choice creation. That would be you and I. And He gave us freedom. For better or worse, He gave us freedom to embrace Him or to reject Him. Humanity, with the help of the devil in no small part, rejected Him. And this is called sin. When sin entered the equation, so did death and paradise was lost. But God never gave up. He would do whatever was required to save us from death. You see, he, it turns out he, he loves us unconditionally. So he wrapped himself in humanity. He came to earth. He took our place. He, he stepped in front of the bus, if you will, for us. The death and judgment that was going to crash over my sinfulness, he took upon his own shoulders. That's the story. So because of his sacrifice... We can be saved. Death and judgment are, are overcome. And we again are allowed to enter into the promised land of paradise. So because of his sacrifice, we are saved. We are saved by God's grace alone. It requires your faith alone. Um, that, my friend, is what the New Testament writers call the gospel. Maybe you've heard that term before. That story is what they, they call the gospel. That means, literally, it means the good news. They call that, that, whole, that whole simple story, that whole amazing story, they call it the gospel. 
And it is indeed, if true, it is wonderful news. Saved by God's grace, it requires only our faith. Joshua 3 is one of my favorite pictures of the good news because it it helps, in my mind, it helps remove the fairy tale. Um, You can't make up what I'm going to show you here in Joshua chapter 3. Preach this message. I look back in the the recordings in 2007. Um, I'm amazed every time I read it. You can't can't make up. You can't fit the gospel in um, on your own. it's, It's there and God has designed it from eternity to eternity to be there. In fact, I'm going to show you that the gospel story is carved into the very landscape of a very real place called the Middle East. And the story deals with a very real people called the nation of Israel. So if you're sitting here today and you have never been convinced, then Joshua 3 is for you. And uh, I've got a map up here. And uh, you keep your Bible in your lap. And I'm going to use this map just a little bit. I've got my handy dandy Pointer is not the antenna off of my car, as some have suggested. Look, I just broke it. (laughs) Dang it. I don't need that part. Still want it when I'm done. Anybody know what this is? Yeah, this is a satellite image. The reason I used a satellite image so that you knew it was a real place, in case any of you think, again, this whole story is a made up in a fairy tale place with a fairy tale people about a fairy tale God. No, this is a true story about a true people in a real place. This is satellite imagery, courtesy of NASA. And I wanted to use it also because I didn't want you confused by all the different names and all the different labels and everything else that was on there. I'm going to tell you what you need to know about this map, and I'm going to tell you how it fits into the story. I'm going to, kids, I'm going to give you a little bit of a geography lesson here, so you've got to hold on just a little bit. But I'm going, to, I'm going to help you to see the cross of the New Testament all the way back in the Old Testament of Joshua chapter 3. And if, if, it's, if it's there, without us doing too much twisting and pushing and forcing, if it's there... And it is. In this story, it's there. Then the fairy tale kind of goes away because this is, this, is, this is a true story. The body of water at the top here, that small body of water, it's called the Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea in terms of a sea like the Mediterranean Sea. It's a fresh body of water, but it's, it's, it's big relative to the area, and so it's called a sea. That's just typically how you referred to things back then. But it's a fresh body of water. If the map is a little bit clear, I don't know if you could see it from back there, but it's pretty green around that area. The reason it's green around that area is because it's also referred to as the Sea of the Harp or the Sea of Blessing because it's a very fertile uh, area. The minerals and all the content of what is in that sea make that area the place you want to live. If you move to that part of the world, that's where you want to go. It's lush. It's beautiful. Lots of stuff grows there. It's real green. You see how as you get down here, it gets more brown and dry? Or even towards this area, it gets more brown and dry. But around there, it's a blessed area. That's the Sea of Galilee. There's a river that runs down from the Sea of Galilee all the way down here. What is this called? Anybody? The Dead Sea. It actually would go all the way down to here, 
But this satellite imagery is showing that it's kind of drying up. These are all salt deposits down here because the Dead Sea, it's called the Dead Sea because for one, nothing, there is no exit for it. And so you get a lot of minerals and things coming in, but it's overpopulated with minerals and good stuff and it has no, no way to let it feed out. It doesn't disperse any of that. And so it's so high in its mineral content that not much can actually live there. And it, it, it starts to, to kind of hurt its own self. And so things die in this place. And what you see here are the salt deposits as it started to dry up over many of the years. And so it's, it's shrunk a little bit. The river that runs from the Sea of Blessing, that beautiful area, down to the dead place is called, anybody know? The Jordan. Very good. It's called the Jordan. If you want to cheat a little bit, if you flip to the back of your Bible, you might have one of those little color maps with the labels. Okay? That's called the Jordan. The Jordan is, is, is called the Jordan because it, it, it connotates two things in that word. Judgment, but also, very literally, a descent. And so just think about it. Just think about the geography. You have the Sea of Blessing, and then it, it's a river that descends. Because it, it goes down, if you're looking at it on a map, for one. But it descends in the sense that it, it leads to death. It's also referred to, Dan has a reference to judgment as well. And we'll come back to that. On the right side here, this is the wilderness. So when the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness, this is where they are. Over here, generally, this is the promised land. This is a, this is a beautiful place. This is where they want to go. This is the land that God had promised them, flowing with all the milk and honey. But you've got all the, all the parasites over here living. All those ites that we read about, they're all living over here. And so they've got to get from here to here. They've got to cross this Jordan that we just read about. And they've got to, they've got to end up kicking all these people out. But, but remember what Joshua said, that God would do all that. So all they have to worry about is getting from here to here. And they've wandered in the wilderness, but now Joshua's the new leader. Moses is gone, and he's got to lead them across. And so as they get to this side, they get to the edge. The passage tells us that they're at a place right about, right about here, in a, in opposite a city called Jericho. So they're over here in the wilderness on this side, on the right side, and Jericho's on the left side. And so they've got to get ready to cross. And remember, it's flood stage at the Jordan. So what that means is, is that as they're ready to cross, hey, hooray, we're there. The promised land is right across there, but... How are we going to get there? Not only is there a river in our way, we've got two million people, but um, it's flood stage. Up to a mile wide, it's a raging river at this point. You go in, you don't come out. That's the point of flood stage. So, kids, help me out. If you faced a big old body of water and you want to get from one side to another, how are you going to get from one side to another? What do you need? Are you going to be able to swim it, Q? Flood stage? raging rapids and waves and you're not going to be able to swim it. What do you think? A boat. That would be helpful, right? That would be pretty helpful. A bridge would be great, but I don't think back then they could build a bridge that long. I don't think they had quite that engineering skills to do, to do that. And, you know, I don't know that they had the supplies to build a bridge. So a, a boat would be our option. Joshua 3 says that, that God told Joshua, send a boat into the water first. Didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't that, isn't that what God said to Joshua? Send a boat in? No, he said send in an ark. Oh, wait a second. Kids, where else do you hear about an ark in the Bible? Who had an ark? A guy named Noah. Noah had an ark, didn't he? What was an ark? It was a boat, wasn't it? So did God tell Joshua to send a boat into the Jordan River? He did. 
wasn't really a boat, though. But it's interesting that it's called, it's called the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the cool thing you need to know about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was this box that held, held those tablets that Moses had went up on the mountain in God that had, had all the rules on them, right? And so they put them in there. But then on top of that was this thing called the mercy seat. And there were these cool gold angels. And, and, and on top of this is for the nation of Israel, the most important thing about the Ark of the Covenant is as long as they had the Ark of the Covenant, God promised that he would be present with them. So if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they go searching for the Ark of the Covenant, right? And crazy stuff happens, right? That's essentially what they, they had with them. The Ark of the Covenant was important to the nation of Israel primarily because it meant that God was with them. God promised that he would dwell in the presence on the mercy seat. He would take a seat. He would, he would sit on the throne of that box. And so Israel carried it with them. And so God said to Joseph, Joseph, tell him to send the Ark in the water first. You guys, you guys stand back. Don't get all close up there. Get back like a half mile. Back up. Back up. I don't need your help is the point. All you got to do, tell the priest to pick it up, go in. And they're not going to have to wade in and get real deep and wait for something to happen. As soon as the, the soles of their flip-flops hit the edge of the water, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. So God says, send in a boat. Send in a boat. You stay back, send in a boat. When the boat gets in the water, the waters will roll back. And so, so now the waters roll back about 20 miles to a, to a town up here near uh, Zarethan, and there's this big space so that the nation of Israel can cross from this side to this side. And so track with me here with the geography. Sea of Blessing, there's a descent down to death. They stand on the wilderness side. They want to get to the promised land side. So let me just let me fast forward a little bit for you so you can see the cross in this, okay? Now, you can make it real simple. Do we see a cross? Yeah, we, we see a cross. There's the, there's the upper beam, and, we, and they're going to cross the river, right? That's easy. Check this out. The wilderness represents in the geography where we live now. We live in a barren land. We don't live in the promised land. On this side of life and death, we live in the wilderness land. We want to get to the promised land. We want to get to the new Eden. We want to get to heaven, right? But there's something between us and heaven. There's death between us and heaven. And there is, with death, there is a judgment. And so to get from wandering around here to the promised land, you've got to, you've got to go through judgment. But here, here's the bad news. The bad news is if you step in front of judgment, judgment will run you over. If you jump in that river of the Jordan at flood stage, you will you will get taken out. It'll sweep you down all the way into, guess where you'll end up, kids? What sea? The Dead Sea. God blesses us. That's a beautiful area. It's a very fertile place. Was there, has there ever been a descent of humanity and morality? There has. Has there ever been a fall from blessing that results in death? There has. The nation of Israel... They sit on the life side, this side of eternity, of the promised land. They want to cross the flood rivers. There's no way to get across. God says, I'll make a way. The way is, is that I'll go in first. They send in a boat. They send in the Ark of the Covenant. And the important thing about the Ark of the Covenant is that's where God sits. And so God says to the nation of Israel essentially this. Don't go into the judgment waters on your own. 
let me go in first. If I go in first, here's what will happen. Judgment will get held back. And there will be a way for you to cross judgment into the land flowing with milk and honey, into the promised land and out of this wilderness wandering land, out of this nonsense into what has been promised to you. You just got to let me hold back judgment. If I go in first, you won't get taken out. If you go in before I do, if you think you can swim it, if you think you could build some fancy little raft, if you think you can, you know, get some floaties or some water wings and paddle your way across, it's not going to happen. You can't do it. In fact, why don't you just back up, stand way over here and watch what I do. Joshua said to the nation of Israel, listen, today you're going to see what the Lord of all creation can do. He's going to do something so amazing that you're never going to doubt that he can that he can take out everybody that's in the promised land. All those giants you've heard about that are in the promised land that, that, that aren't going to want us coming in and living. God can handle that. Why? Because watch what he's about to do. As soon as the priest flip-flops hit the water, the water rolled back. And it made a way for them to go across. Do so you remember what it said? It said they go, they go into the water, the priest, and they're standing on dry ground. Imagine, imagine how, how much... God would have had to have done to suck all the water, not just, not just on the surface of the Jordan River at flood stage, but to suck all the water right out of the, right out of the ground, right out of the riverbed, so that when they're standing there, they're not bogged down in mud. It isn't, isn't the story amazing? The God doesn't just you know, say, all right, I'm going to make it waist deep, and you guys just do your best, get across, you know, make a daisy chain and find your way across, get some logs, whatever you got to do. I'll make it reasonable for you, but you got to do the work. You've you got you to work too. No, that's not the story. You, you just stand back. Let me get everything out of the way, and then come on. You mean I don't have to do anything? No, you just got to trust that I'm going to hold the water back, and you just got to walk. I think I could do that. Should be our response. But what we want to do, let's just be honest, what we want to do is we want to we show God how, how, how good we can swim. We'd like to show God that, that we can make it from there to, to there uh, on our own. We'll do a good enough job that he'll be so impressed. That, look, look at me, I'm an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> and the God of all creation is just, he just... What, what does he do? What does he do with an attitude that just says, I'm just going to depend on me? Well, God lets us go in. And unfortunately, judgment falls. And what he's warned us about the whole time, we find is actually true. The result is we end up in death. Did you notice, uh, kids, did you notice the name of the city that Joshua said God promised the waters would roll all the way back to? The city near Zarethan, it's interesting he didn't have to tell us this, but he says the waters roll all the way back from this area around Jericho, all the way back about 20, 25 miles, right about in the middle, kind of interesting, to a city called, anybody know? I think it's verse 16, Adam. Where did sin enter the world? Adam and Eve. When God steps in to stop judgment so that we have a way to pass through to the promised land, how far back does God fix things how far back does he, does he roll judgment back? How much does he make right so that we have a way? He, he takes it all the way back to Adam. 
all the way back to Adam, judgment is removed. So that from Adam on, all those who would, who would step out on faith, not in their own strength and try and paddle hard, but all those who would say, God, you'll do that, I'll walk. All those who would accept God's grace and step out on faith, all the way back to Adam, the way is made clear, strong, solid, and dry for them. You know, the gospel story goes all the way back to Adam and Eve as well. God made a way for Adam and Eve. It says that he, he clothed them after they tried to cover up with the fig leaves, right? He clothed them with what? Animal skins. God made a way for them to actually be covered up and not ashamed anymore in his presence. He did it by the skins of an animal. He says something has to, something has to give here. Something has to die so that, so that a way can be made for you to be covered. So that when I look upon you, I don't have to look upon you with shame and judgment. So he covers Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve have to cover themselves with God's covering by faith. God is gracious, and he accepts the sacrifice of an animal. If he's going to cover you with an animal skin, the animal's got to be sacrificed. Somebody has to give up their life. And so now, by faith, you're covered. God's, God's done the same thing here. He's expressed the gospel in the very, in the very landscape. Now let me, let me get to the end here. Um, where else do you see God go into the Jordan River? I'll give you a hint. In the New Testament, where do you see God go into the Jordan River? At the baptism of Jesus. Where on the whole spectrum of the Jordan River do you suspect Jesus would be baptized? Lo and behold, near the Jordan. I mean, near Jericho at the Jordan. In the New Testament, we find that when Jesus comes onto the scene, he would be baptized to anoint his ministry so that John the Baptist could say, Behold the Lamb of the world who takes away the sin. Um, And he baptizes him in the Jordan River at the very same place that the nation of Israel was crossing, by the way. But this time, do do the waters part when God steps in? Do the waters part? No. You know what does part? The sky parts. The clouds are rolled back and you hear the voice of the Father. And the Father says, Behold, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am, I am so happy with. So the skies roll back. God declares, I've made a way. I've made a way the same way I made a way in Joshua 3. God will step into the floodwaters. There is a parting and there is a declaration that that this is the answer. Jesus, in a sense, becomes the, the new boat. He becomes the new ark. He is the Ark of the New Covenant now. Question. When you, when, you, when you stand before the Lord of all creation, the one who is behind all of these stories, all of these things that maybe once sounded like fairy tales to you, 
when you step in front of that, that holy creator God, will judgment fall upon you? Will you be crushed? Or will you be saved from that judgment? If you want to be found pleasing to God, pleasing in the sight of God, there is one way you could be found pleasing. When God looks upon you, the only way you could be found pleasing is to be found in His Son. Behold, this is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. Do you want to be found pleasing to God? You must be found in His Son. The good news. The good news is that the Father has made a way. He planted His Son on earth and He put the cross upon His shoulders so that wrath and judgment would be poured out on His shoulders but restrained from you and I. So that the judgment would not fall upon, so that the judgment would not have to crash upon us, it was placed upon Jesus. The only thing that can restrain the floodwaters of the pending judgment over your life and over your sinfulness is that you be found in the Son of God. Because He is the only pleasing one. As the Creator of all the universe looks down, that's the only one that God is well pleased in. Because there is no sin in Him. And when He, when he mounts the cross, when He stakes that claim in that, in that ground... He is, in essence, stepping before the floodwaters of judgment and God says, I'll, I'll restrain my judgment all the way to the cross so that the new Adam takes the wrath upon him. Forgiveness can be made all the way back to the first Adam. And so Jesus, if you will, plants himself, his cross, in the middle of the Jordan River at flood stage and, and so that it all doesn't come crashing down on you, Jesus makes a way for you to come on through. What is, what is your part in all this? It's not to swim harder. It's not to build your own boat. It's not to try and craft your own bridge. The smart money is to put your trust in the one, the only one, who has had any success with those judgment waters. And that's God Himself. God Himself has made a way. And the way He has said is in My Son. And throughout the whole Bible, the whole Bible has been telling story after story after story of how God would provide a way of grace. And all you need to do is step out on faith. All these stories that you read about in your Bible all point to the coming of Jesus, when he would say, remember all that stuff I was telling you in all, all the Old Testament stories, even back to Joshua 3 when they crossed and there was an ark and my presence went in and the waters of judgment fell back and the sea of blessing and the sea of death. Remember all that? I was just, I was just trying to tell you in crayon that when Jesus comes, I'm planting on earth a way. My judgment will fall on him, but he'll hold it from you. In him I am well pleased. Do you want to be found pleasing? To your Creator, be found in His Son. Be found in His Son. Martin Luther, famous theologian of years ago, wrote a song that we used to sing when I was a kid in church, when we went to church. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark everlasting. When I was a kid, Corbin, I'd say, what's a bulwark? You know what a bulwark is? 
I don't know what a bulwark is either. He's got a puzzled look on his face for those of you who can't see him. Anybody, you know what a bulwark? Anybody else when they were a kid? Like, what's a bulwark? But you'd sing it anyway. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark everlasting. And the church would sing it, and I'd wonder to myself, does anybody know what that means? A bulwark is a, essentially a wall. On a ship, a bulwark is that part of the boat that comes up from the deck. So you've got the deck that you walk around on, but the deck just doesn't go off you know, into the water. There's, there's a ledge there, and there's a wall that comes up. Those walls are called bulwarks. Okay? The thing that is built, that wall that is built, that's also a bad word, that is used to hold back water, right? A dam is a bulwark. It's a wall that restrains the water so that they don't crash down on you so that, that we could build a road there to get from one place to another. It's an amazing verse. It's an amazing song. Martin Luther had it exactly right. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark everlasting. God has provided safety for us. His son, Jesus Christ, is a wall. And now we're safe from the waters of judgment. It's the gospel in Joshua chapter 3. Pray with me. Lord, my prayer is that for, um, for those who sit in this room that have just looked at these stories or considered these stories made up fairy tales, I pray that they would be convinced by your Holy Spirit, by that still small voice that whispers to their heart, even now, that this book is one story and it was written by one author. This is a story that you wrote, Heavenly Father, before all of time. It's a story that goes into eternity past, and it's a story that carries on into eternity future. For the one who sits here today, Lord, that uh, hasn't bought in, that just hasn't been convinced, Lord, I pray they would give deep consideration with the help of your Holy Spirit to this true story about a real place and about real people and about some really good news that I don't have to swim harder I don't have to impress you with my ability Lord I just have to stand back let you go in and do the, do the hard work and I get to walk across on dry ground and your word says that all who that all who enter into those waters on the dry ground make it all the way across into the other promised side they're all safe we can trust you so lord i pray that there would be hearts here that even for the very first time trust you give them courage give them the the courage to to tell the truth to their own heart to be honest with themselves we're not promised tomorrow some of us know that better than others some of us uh some of us in this room, Lord, are dealing with loved ones who are who are on the edge of eternity. And Lord, we all in this place know that today could be our last, and so we dare not enter into judgment on our own. Call us by faith to trust in your Son. In Him you are well pleased. He is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing. If this is the day of your salvation, if today you need to you need to step out on faith, trust the grace of God.
Do it. Do it. Just come sit next to me. Say, today's my day. I'm not holding anything else back. I'm coming just as I am. I'm not going to try and make myself perfect anymore. If God has done that for me just the way I am with everything I've done, then he can have me. He can have me. Let's sing. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.